Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Welcome to you. My name is David. I have the privilege and the joy of being on the teaching team here at Bottle Point Church. And I also lead our Exeter location. And uh, today's a great day to be gathering. So wherever you're at, whether online, in person, in one of our sites, it is just a joy to be gathering. I'm praying that God is speaking to you in the way he needs to. Here at Vital Point Church, you need to know that if you're new or call this place home, we hold tight to a mission and vision for our church. And our mission is to point people to Jesus and help them become fully devoted followers of Him. And our vision, which we've been really plowing the fields with lately, is this, is to be a multi-site church that reaches thousands of people who are exploring and growing in their knowledge of Jesus and commitment to His church. And we've been seeing these two things develop and grow over the last 10 to 12 months in beautiful ways. And what's crazy for me as an individual follower of Jesus is to watch it just happen to regular people. It's not happening because someone famous here is leading the way. No one's bringing shame or guilt. It is just people like you and I exploring life, faith, Jesus, and God, and which is leading many of us, a lot of us, to know Jesus personally, where then God desires us to grow in relationship with him through his son, Jesus. And what's been amazing to hap- see happen is that exploding into people's personal lives and turning their knowledge into commitment. And then that commitment allows them to invite family members and friends to come see and experience the true eternal transformation that has happened in people's lives. See, today you may be someone who's fully committed. And I kind of think of it like this sometimes. Um, like it's like a team bus. You're on the bus. You're chanting. You're, you got your face painted. You're all in having a blast and you've got a relationship with Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But we as a church understand that not all people are on the bus and it's an imaginary bus. Okay. It's not like we have one in the parking lot waiting for you to hop in after the service. It's like you're not on the bus. You don't want to be on the bus. You think it's weird. You're definitely not painting your face. But and sometimes maybe when you hear, um, father, son, holy spirit and people have a relationship with those, those people, uh, God, father, son and holy spirit, it kind of makes you shiver. And we understand that it's, it's not for everyone right now. But what we love about this church is it's creating space for everyone to come explore and grow. And that's the thing that this space that we call Vital Point is for all people. You may have different ideas or belief or experiences or passions and dreams, maybe even fears. And this place is for you. It's for everyone. But here's the thing, we will never shy away from biblical truth. We will look toward God's word, which is true, life-giving, and it can change someone's life as we lean into it. And that's what we stick close to. But this place is for you to come here. And this is why we're in a series right now called Discovering Jesus, because we want to create space for everyone to be captured by the true identity who Jesus claims to be, God in the flesh. And how we're doing it through this series is we are looking at the really important words and claims that Jesus calls himself. It's the I am statements. You can find it in the gospel of John. There's seven of them. Today, we're going to look at the fifth I am statement, 
where Jesus claims to be the resurrection and the life in John chapter 11. And through this resurrection and life, who is Jesus, we're going to learn that he conquers death and restores it with eternal hope. And this section is beautiful and awesome all at the same time because it involves some devoted followers of that day, which gives us a glimpse in how Jesus continues by his word, by his claiming, helps us grow in understanding of who he truly is. Now, see, if you've got a Bible, turn to chapter 11 in the Gospel of John, and we're going to spend most of our time in this section. And I've got to express to you, I I love when people burn their Bibles. It's something so beautiful because when you have it in your hands, you're learning how it feels, how God speaks to us in this way. Or maybe you got it on your phone. Open that up right now, John chapter 11. And And if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. It's going to come on the screen for you. But next week, I just encourage you to bring your Bible with you as we open up God's Word. John chapter 11, let me read it for you. It says this. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. This guy named Lazarus, he was one of Jesus' really good friends, and he had passed away. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes, lives, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. If you're like me and you read just these 10 verses, there's a lot of questions that that pop into your mind, into your heart. Because it leaves us thinking, okay, there's got to be a lot more to this story than what we just read right here. So there's a beginning, there's the middle, which we're in, and then there's an ending to this section. But I don't want us to get distracted by the beginning and the end because I want to focus in and narrow in on the statement that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life that comes from the mouth of Jesus. Because it happens to be attached to an interaction around a death of Lazarus, who is a good friend of Jesus. And Jesus here is revealing to two devoted followers of him, Mary and Martha, who he is when it comes to death, resurrection, and life. And I believe for many of us today, we need this conversation. We need this truth because there is fear when it comes to death and it doesn't always seem hopeful when we think about it, see it happen or experience it for ourselves. There's not a lot of hope around death for many of us. So let's examine together the relationships here that Jesus has with these two girls, these two women, the sisters, where it helps us understand the text and the claim that Jesus is the resurrection and life. Verses 17 to 27. 
It really focuses mainly on an interaction between Jesus and Martha. And there's Mary on the fringe around the outskirts of the story here. And I love Martha because this isn't the only time that she's brought into the Gospels. There's another section in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10 where she's found to be a busybody in her home. While Jesus is there, she is in the kitchen cooking food, preparing a meal for the people. And her sister Mary's in the exact same story. And she's not a busybody. She's literally sitting at the feet of Jesus taking everything in. And here in this moment, John chapter 11, we see again that she is someone who takes action. She goes to Jesus. She probably ran to Jesus when she heard that he was coming, but Mary stays behind. When she finds Jesus, she tells him the news about Lazarus. He has died. He is gone. And what's fascinating here about this news, if you read the sections verses 1 to 16 right before what we read today together, is you see that Jesus already knew that his friend had passed away and that's why he was coming to Bethany. Now for the sisters, we need to know that they had a really tight relationship. They were on the same page. Verses 21, which we read, and later section verses 32 are carbon copies of one another. When Martha reaches Jesus, she says, if you had come and been here before, my, 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 my brother would not have died. He would have lived. And Mary, in her first interaction with Jesus, says the exact same thing. And this gives us a glimpse that they were not just devoted followers of him. They didn't just know about him. They were also growing in their knowledge and belief of his divine identity. They had faith that Jesus could and would heal their brother Lazarus. Look at verses uh, verse 30, uh, 22, sorry. Martha says, but even now... I know that whatever you ask from God, because your relationship with him, she'd seen it on display before, whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. This is revealing to us in this moment, the hope she is reaching for and her hope is only in Jesus and his relationship with God, the creator, his father. In verse 23, Jesus responds to her saying, your brother is actually going to rise again. Now, what we need to know here is that Martha would have known what Jesus was referring to, but she missed it slightly because her response in verse 24 says, I get that he's going to rise again. In the last days, I know that by God's power and by God's grace, because of the teachings of the Old Testament and what you've been saying before, their bodies, physical bodies will be raised again in the last days. And she took that as assurance of the last days that the dead will rise again. Some will rise to eternal glory and life with God, but some will rise to shame and everlasting contempt, which comes from the book in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 12. But Jesus in this moment wasn't talking about the time of the end, the last days. He was saying right now, your brother Lazarus is going to rise again here and now. Note though that Jesus did not correct her about her comment of the end times. Usually when people said something off or not true, Jesus would correct them. But he let it land because she was not wrong. She was actually right. But he was bringing fulfillment to scripture about who he was. So you can't be surprised that she missed it because Jesus was intending something so beautiful uh, because not every day people were rising from the dead and just living again. Like it, it didn't happen. It only happened when Jesus arrived. 
See, verse 25 is where we come to Jesus and we see him claim, proclaim, and stand there in front of Martha and say, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, whoever puts their faith in me, calls on my name, though he die, yet shall he live. This is interesting because Jesus is identifying himself with both resurrection and life. And both are complementary aspects of the same thing. As we've been discovering through this series, Discovering Jesus. Jesus has a purpose and a call on his life. Very much like our church, we have a mission and we have a vision. Uh, so did Jesus from the Father, the Creator, his Father. Jesus's purpose of mission and vision was to bring life in its fullest sense of completion. And it only comes through him. And what's profound in this section of scripture is Jesus is reshaping their doctrine and belief and understanding around life, death, and resurrection. And his doctrine should only leave us with comfort and everlasting hope. This is where he's taking us. Hope. Eternal, everlasting hope. Jesus in this moment of time in history was bringing their understanding of life and death out of the shadows and into the light. See, Old Testament doctrine can be described as shadows or even dark when it is read incorrectly. Let me explain it. When people read the book um, Psalms in the Old Testament written by David or the book of Ecclesiastes, which is written by Solomon, when we read them incorrectly, there are some passages that have led people, thousands of people to believe that there is no life after death which can leave us, what, fearful and and left hopeless, right? There's nothing, the big unknown, there is nothing there after death. But we have to remember here, when we are reading Old Testament books and Old Testament doctrine, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have Jesus walking alongside them as they were living life or writing about life. So the psalmist David and the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, uh, Solomon, they didn't know the full story. They couldn't bring light into the world in their human aspect. Only Jesus could. He was fulfilling the story for them and for us in that moment. Only Jesus could bring light and he did. Second Timothy actually gives us a glimpse into this. It says that our savior, Jesus Christ, who abolishes death and brought life and mortality to light through the gospel. Only Jesus could, the Savior, the sent one from heaven. See, what was happening here was Jesus was bringing two aspects of doctrine and they needed this new doctrine. They needed to understand it at its full capacity and what God was intending for them to adopt then and for us now in our very own lives. See, the first way he did this was through his teachings. Jesus often can be described as he was flipping the script. He was changing and fulfilling. He was actually bringing life to God's word and God's way. And in this moment, we see the first way he changes the way of doing these things and understanding them is through his teachings, his miracles, and even his own resurrection was a clearly a, a clear way of leading us into his teachings and the fuller aspect of what it means when he says, I am the resurrection and your body will also have a resurrection. See, he is declaring and, affirm, uh, and affirming here that death is reality. It happens. It will happen. 
But he's also affirming that in that death, there is a resurrection and there is life. He's also affirming there is life after death. And all bodies, all bodies will be raised by the power of God. Now, for me, when I was listening to this and starting to study it, it created some confusion for me. It really did. That's my human aspect of who I am. And it's maybe creating some uncertainty or um, confusion for you as well. But as I was studying, I came across what the Apostle Paul wrote in the depths of this understanding and helped me and hopefully is going to help us understand it as well. And he probably gave us the best understanding of it when it talks about the resurrection of the body in his letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, okay? And in this moment, Paul was dealing with people who had an understanding and had and have an understanding of death where there was no resurrection. It was humanly impossible for the human body to be raised to life after death. So because that was, and in ways is for us, because humans can't do this on our own, bodies die, turn to dust, and guess what? They lead to us being great fertilizer. That's why like, you see cemeteries and it's just luscious green grass, right? It is just what happens to our bodies. But Paul responds to this doctrine and belief of life in his chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, verse 36, in the most plain, beautiful way. He says, you foolish people, you foolish people, if you believe there is no resurrection. He, he made the important point here by saying this, that the resurrection is not reconstruction, okay? Because not once does the Bible teach, at any point in history does it teach, that the resurrection that God will bring to our human bodies, where does it say that he will put us back together in the pieces and return us to our former selves, our former bodies? There is continuity, there is our body, but there is not an identity. There is not the same body. And Paul knew through the Holy Spirit that miracles like this that are supernatural, that some of us have been experiencing in our lives, you cannot explain them, right? You can't explain them. So Paul uses three analogies to help our human, our minds understand this in the way God has intended it. The first, first Corinthians chapter 15, the first analogy comes from uh, verse 36 to 38. He says this, it's going to land for farmers or people in Huron County, man, the Poplar Hill site, hopefully you snag this one as well. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be. By a, uh, by a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed, its own body. The first analogy he uses is a seed. Now you see why I talk about the Huron County people, right? They might catch on to this. When you sow seed, you do not expect that same seed to come up at harvest. The seed dies, but from that death, there comes life, a resurrection of beauty. We can actually see Jesus use this analogy in John chapter 12 when he's trying to teach and help them understand something. You may sow a few grains of wheat, but you will have many grains when the plant matures. Are they the same grains that were planted? No. But there is still continuity. I'm no farmer, but I know you don't sow wheat into the ground and harvest barley. 
But what comes up at the harvest is usually more beautiful than what we had planted in that ground. If at the resurrection, all God did was put us back together, again, there would be no improvement. And the thing is, our flesh and blood cannot inherit God's kingdom. The only way that we can enjoy the glory of heaven is to have a body suited for that heavenly environment. The body is sown in burial in here on earth because it's going to decay, but it is raised with such a nature that cannot decay. There is no decay or death in heaven. No, it is eternity on this side of eternity. It is great. It is glory. It is wonderful, but it is buried in humility, our bodies right here, and it is raised in glory. Let me say this. In burial, the body is weak, but in resurrection, the body has power. The resurrection body is where our faith is in Jesus. It becomes suited for that heavenly environment. The point that Paul was trying to make here simply is this. The resurrection body completes the work of the redemption and gives us the image of the Savior, who is Jesus, which can reside in the heavenly realms. I know that first analogy. It can be a lot. It is not low-hanging fruit. Sometimes we have to reach for these things. And it is okay to have to reach. And it's okay to question around these things. But I'm hoping these analogies will actually help us understand what it means when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Let's look at the second analogy. Verses 39 from the same chapter. Paul says, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of for humans and for animals and for birds and another for fish. This is his second analogy. It's short and sweet. Paul anticipated through the Holy Spirit that there was going to be a discovery of science. You and I know this now. The human body has a nature of one kind, while animals, birds, fish have their own particular structure and flesh. The conclusion here is this, that if God is able to make different structures and different um, flesh for you and I compared to animals, Why couldn't he do the same in the resurrection? Why? Why couldn't he? He created life. He actually spoke science into existence. And what we need to know here is that Paul's not teaching here that whiskers your cat and spot your dog are going to be resurrected, but he's using them as an example of the divine nature and creativity that God is capable of, capable of. That's what he's teaching us in that analogy. Through science, that God is a creative being and he can resurrect your body in a new form that is in glory within heaven. The third analogy is the last one. And I love this one, verses 40 to 41. Heavenly bodies. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is is of one kind and the glory of earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory for the moon, and another glory for the stars. For star differs from star in glory. Here we see, in fact, that there are are heavenly bodies and they differ from one another in glory as far as the human eye can see. Paul is suggesting here that believers may differ from one another in glory even though All Christians will have glorified bodies. When you put your life and faith and belief in Jesus, you will have a glorified body in heaven in glory with God, which which means in heaven, every cup is going to be filled, but all cups will be different 
shapes, and sizes because of the faithfulness and the sacrifice of those followers when they're here on earth. Let me say it like this, okay? So if you sacrifice much here on earth and so much here on earth for the kingdom of heaven, you will have a glorified body and it will actually result in your life here on earth. If you are someone that sacrifices a little and sows a little in the kingdom of heaven, your body in heaven will be rewarded in the way you lived your life here on earth. It's plain and simple as that. It really is. And if you are someone that never calls on the name of Jesus and never sows seed here on earth for the kingdom of heaven, it will reflect that. See, these illustrations may bring up more questions about the resurrection body, but I hope it gives you an understanding and an assurance that the big understanding is that Jesus wants us to live into the claim of who he is through the resurrection and he is fulfilling scripture and allows us to see that the last days and the resurrection are beautiful when we are living in that life that he is re- that he is he, that he is displayed for us. Now, the second one is much more relational and very quick, how he changed the doctrine. He takes doctrine out of a book and puts it into a person who is himself. Our Bible today, the letter and collections of letters, now the Bible allows us to lead us into who Jesus is, allows us to see that God sent a redeemer, a way maker, a healer and life giver. And when we place our life in him and to know him and to believe in him and to his claim of resurrection and life, it banishes all fear and all darkness that this world pushes upon us. It still may happen, but in Jesus name, we call, we call against it and we push back on it because he is the one that conquers death and gives us, gives us eternal hope. He took it out of a book and put it into a person. Now, let me say this though. I've been sensing a lot of tension for people today as you probably are hearing my words. And I have to ask, why do maybe you and I and others have a hard time clinging to this hope and even understanding this hope? And I've narrowed it down to this over the last few years. It's the fear of death. Follower of Jesus, non-follower Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. There is a fear of death in our world, which which creates anxiety. And it's actually called death anxiety. And when it takes over your life, and when it takes over your life and uh, 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 you can't control it kind of way, it allows you to live a life and it affects your life in a way where you feel maybe sick, you feel worry, you feel low self-esteem, a lack of a fighting spirit, a lack of building beliefs and even relationships and intimacy and even a fulfillment of joy, which then spills into us having maybe insomnia, stomach issues, mood swings, irritability, fatigue, difficulty con- uh, concentrating, and even other miscellaneous things that are happening in your life. Fear of death is a thing, but fear of death should never, never hold you back from living life. We should never allow fear of death to hold you back from living life. There can be unknowns and uncertainties, but death should never hold you back from living a life here on earth. And here's why. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. It writes that Jesus came not only to destroy the power of death, but the fear of death. And Jesus' claim to be the resurrection and life is our answer to that fear of death. 
and to have only head knowledge of him doesn't lead us to a comfort and new life. That's why my heart breaks for people that are locked in and are trapped around the religiosity of faith. It's just a checklist. You only know stuff. It's not a relationship. It's not fruitful. There's no purpose and direction. It's just like, I did it. Check. See, belief and faith in him leads us to everlasting life where we never die spiritually, where we are in glory in heaven, glorifying God with the heavenly body that allows us to see that we are one with him in that glory, worshiping him. But before we get there, our faith in him, our identity in him, our call on his name allows us to live a life with purpose and direction for him. But we have to identify him. We have to discover him and believe in him. Look at Martha's words in John chapter 11, verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, and you have come into the world. She identifies him to a team, you to a T. You are the Messiah. You are the son of God. And you have come into this world to save the world, not to condemn it, to save it. And this identifying him and knowing him and believing in him allows her to know that he banishes the shame and the guilt that you and I may feel in life. He takes those ragged clothes of guilt and shame that we have or what we've placed on our shoulders. He places a robe on us when we call out to his name and he calls us my child. He grabs your hand when you feel like you're in the darkness and pulls you out of the shadows and allows his face to shine upon you and brings you life. His claim to be God has the power to raise your life from the dead. Do you want this? Do you want this? If you ever get a chance to read the rest of the story, I had to do this this week. I had to read the beginning, middle, and end. And the ending is so beautiful because here's the thing. Jesus takes Mary and Martha to the tomb where Lazarus has died. And it's about four days. And Martha and Mary say, Jesus, don't roll the stone away because it's going to be nasty. There's going to be an odor, they say. And he says, didn't I tell you if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they roll away the stone. And in this moment, verses 41 to 44, it's a beautiful moment where Jesus is with them. And he's at the tomb of Lazarus and he says this, 41 to 40, 44, sorry. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard from heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on an account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. He's about to perform a miracle and he wants to show them it is not just him. It is his connection to the father. And when they had said these things, he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice to the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died four days earlier, I might add, came out with his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. As I was reading this this week, I had a vision that many of us, you and I, and people surrounded in gatherings right now, we have put ourselves in a tomb. 
And we have bound our hands and gripped our feet together by bandages and handcuffs or whatever. If it's a mental thing or a heart thing, we have put ourselves in these places and we are hiding because of fear. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel that there is life. There is nothing we aren't wanted. And we have placed ourselves in these tombs. And Jesus is standing outside of the tomb today and saying, come out. Unbind your hands and live. Come to me and know that I am the resurrection and I am the life giver. This week I've been imagining Lazarus walking out of the tomb and them unbinding him and letting him live again. And the stories he would tell the people with his life that he was given from Jesus, his Lord and his King and his life giver. And the more seed he would have been able to sow into the world for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus offers that same life to you and I. See, as we end our time together, you may be someone today who needs to call upon the name of Jesus for the first time ever so that you may have life and life to the full. Where then you can spend eternity and resurrected and a glorified body in heaven with Jesus in eternity. Or maybe today you're someone who is a follower of Jesus, an apprentice, and it's really stale right now or it's dark. You need to call upon the name of Jesus again to give you the opportunities to share his resurrection power, his healing power, his life that he has given you. Give you opportunities to sow those seeds into existence so no matter what, others around you will experience the life and transformation that only comes through the name and the man of Jesus. No matter where you are at with this today, both of these calls lead us to life and life only through Jesus, where he says, unbind them and let them go and live. Let me pray for us as we go. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the truth of who your son is. Thank you for sending your son to this earth to show us what it means to embrace grace, mercy, and hope. I pray, Father, that this conversation this morning or wherever we find ourselves would land in our hearts, kind of take us apart in ways, but through the discovery of who your son is, may it put us back together, whole, full of life and healing. I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Peace be with you. God bless and amen.